0: I'd like to invite a special person up who's going to be sharing his story with you tonight. Uh, I know him from school ministry. There are a lot of school ministry guys coming, and one of the things I love about it is they're all willing to share and willing to to show what God has done in their life. Uh, and he's uh, so he's actually serving at Vision Church with Garrett Biller in Irvine, and he's been serving there. He's been going to school of ministry, um, but he's got a great story. So let me welcome up Sammy V. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's gonna share with you what God's done in his life. Is this thing on? That's sweet, yeah,
1: you do. It. I don't know. That's too high. I'm kind of a on the floor kind of guy. First of all, how great is your guys's worship band? Honestly, come on, <laughs> they're rocking. Love it. See, my testimony actually starts from where you guys are sitting. I grew up just like a normal Christian guy. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, uh, according to my grandpa, I am third-generation uh, evangelical Christian in our family, and that's like a big accomplishment on his end in a sense. He, he feels like that's a big legacy. But see, uh, although we are raised in the faith, at some point, that faith has to become our own. And I felt like I did make that faith my own at a young age. But as you get older and the questions of life hit uh, or the pursuits, all of a sudden you start seeing that little degrees of compromise turn into big, big, big degrees. You know, they say that if a plane veers off just one degree when it's leaving its. Uh, departure, If it's just off one degree, you know, it can miss its destination completely. It can end up on the other side of the world. And, um, you know, my whole life, I I wanted to pursue success. I mean, I I was very ambitious. I stayed away from drugs. Back then, they had the D.A.R.E. program, you know, just say no, go, 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 you know. Captain Kidd, if you guys are like my age, you know, from the 80s, like that was like huge back in the day. So that stuff wasn't an issue for me. Like, I was always very vocal about my faith. I remember any sleepover or anything like that. I used to always evangelize to my friends. i tell my mom, oh, I got to lead so-and-so to the Lord last night, you know. And and it was always exciting for me. God was that real. I always felt like I had this connection with him. But, um, you know, I was very heavily involved in music, and that was always a pursuit. Actually, it kept me out of trouble uh, you know, the things, the pressures, peer pressures of high school, the temptations, they were there, but because I was hanging out with older guys, and we were in a band, you know, and uh, we got picked up by a Christian booking agency, so we, we got to travel a bit, and that, that to me was just like, man, this is way funner than whatever my friends are doing, you know, it's like, but, uh, you know, just like old things that fizzled out, and I pursued other things, I started, uh, working out, I mean, I know it's hard to believe now, but I used to be in really good shape. And I became a trainer. And um, you know, veered off into that world. I wanted to be, you know, maybe a physical trainer or something like that. Uh, but music was always a part of my life. So reconnected with some friends and we pursued this thing. You know, and like any other goal in life, you gotta pursue it with like complete abandon. So I scheduled everything around my band and my pursuit schools relationships jobs first time first day I get hired I would tell my boss if in the case my band gets an opportunity to tour and you are unable to give me the days off I will let you know I will resign that day like that's just straight up and I'm surprised people gave me the job, you know, because everyone's like, oh, whatever, he's not, he's like, come on, how many uh, who gets an opportunity to do that, right? So, <laughs> but it happened. So therefore, I've worked many jobs, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I, I, uh, our band started taking off. We started having a success. We were on radio, we were on K-Rock. We were starting to get invited to, you know, movie premieres. And we started you know, mingling in with the Hollywood crowd. We weren't exactly the limelight yet, but we were just on the cusp of starting to get something going. And we were playing both secular and Christian venues. Uh, somewhere along that line though, my priorities, my focus, my relationship with the Lord dwindled. You know, the, the temptation started getting in there. I held my purity up to the highest regard. Um, You know, up until I was 23 years old. And then, you know, I met a girl and I compromised with her. And that just totally, it it really, I remember leaving that instead of being like happy like everybody thinks it's gonna be. When you've held on to something so pure for so long and so sacred, like I left shameful. Like I didn't enjoy it at all. And I just kept on living a life of shame. So I committed to that girl. I committed to my band, the offers started coming in through Hollywood, through the industry. So I was like, man, there's there's money to be made here. You know, people started taking us seriously. And so we pursued, started going that route. Then 2010 showed up and I call it the worst year of my life. So here I am pursuing success. I'm finally almost there. I pursued a degree at the same time of pursuing my my uh, musical career. Uh, I just finished my bachelor's in marketing and I was entering into my master's program. The band was doing well. We were looked at by some major labels. And you know, me and my girl were doing good. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna marry this girl, we're gonna get signed, you know, I'm gonna have a science, you know, I have a master's degree in business, I'm gonna sp- do something with this. And life's going to be cake. You see, I, I made my plans. You know, and the Bible always says that, you know, uh, a man <laughs> plans his steps, right? We're like, oh, yeah, dude. And it's just like I used to always pray. It's like, Lord, please bless this. But what I was just really saying, I'm doing this. You know, and, and I'm trying to take instead of me following God, I was trying to take God along for the ride. How many of us have been in that boat? It's like, God, we're not really praying for His will. You know, we're, we're really just saying, this is what's going to happen. And I've always heard, I have many mentors in my life, and like, you want to you make God laugh? Tell Him what you're going to do with your life. <laughs> you're right? So, 2010 shows up. You know, uh, I end up getting betrayed by my band. You know, I was the founding member, I funded a lot of things, and they, uh, they had a deal on the table, and they just didn't want me to be a part of it. And it was hard, but I really felt like God's like, let go, let go before it gets worse. And I've just learned throughout my life, okay, fine, like, I've learned that I can't hold on to things that you don't want in my life, so I let go of that, and it was the toughest thing ever, it was like giving away a baby, I don't know what that's like, but It's pretty, I mean, think about it. You have devoted your whole life to something. Then I was like, all right, that's fine. I have a job lined up. You know, it was pretty good coming out of college. They were offering like well above, I mean, anybody at my age was gonna be making. I was like, dude, I'm set. So me and my girl were excited. Finally gonna be able to have a job, propose, get married. And you know, it's like, you know, cut your losses and make good, right? Well, if you guys are aware that that was probably the height of the worst econ- economic situation our country was in. So not only did that company get rid of the position I was about to get hired for, they got rid of almost 900 of them nationwide. So within, that was like two weeks after the fact that I just got kicked out of my band. So I was like, okay, I still got my girl. Don't have a job, that's all right, I can get one. I mean, I mean, um, I'm halfway through my master's degree, I can do this. And I just got you know an endorsement deal right before I left the band with this drum company called Ludwig. I was like, these drums are worth a lot of money. I can just sell them by her ring. At the very least, I have my girl. Then another betrayal happened two weeks after that. Within a month and a half, you guys, I lost any that I conjured up as a dream come true. Really quickly, God got my attention to show me that the house that I was building, not only was it not built on his foundation, it wasn't even a house. It was a deck of cards in the form of a house. And then that still small voice kept on telling me, remember the God of your youth. Remember the God of your youth. I was always zealous. I was in the church pews. I was praising. I had no problems serving God back then. I'm like, what happened? What happened from there to then? It's just a span of like not even 10 years. You know, and it's, it's just those little, little bits of chasing after those things. I was like, well, oh, I can dabble in this a little bit. And it's amazing how it poisons The will of God in your life. See, God has a permissive will and he has a perfect will. God said enough. I love you enough that you have to learn this right now because I got something else for you. You know, and. That's that was great. You know, I propelled I propelled forward now um, with my MBA graduated I got a job with the financial service company I was doing good I was I made associate of the year I got sent on trips to Cabo I mean I was like dude I'm, I'm gonna live this life you know the suit I love suits so like it's just like you know every case I close i get the suit and stuff but somewhere in the middle of that because I had money now I was just like you know what I need to pursue God I got to get involved in church and I got involved in missions In each mission trip, God just chipped away things at me. I looked in the proverbial mirror, and God made me realize who it is that I have really become. Because even in my noble pursuits, there is still a lot of self in me. And God's like, even though this is noble, even though this is good, this is not what I want for you. And it wasn't until after Haiti. Haiti was one of the toughest mission trips I've ever been on. That's where God really broke me. And God made me realize that I—the reason why I've been so unhappy, I can't find joy in anything—is because I was running away from His calling. God's like, "When are you gonna surrender?" You know, in Spanish we say "ya basta," enough. You know, it's just like my mommy's always yeah. that. And I was like, "Okay, God." So it's a complete 180. I—I I hung up my hat. I, I resigned from my company. I, uh, you know, put in for school and ministry. It's funny because I always say, this is how you know you're called to school and ministry. A week after I got accepted, all my big clients fell off my books. All my money was gone. I had to give up my car. You know, I uh, donated a bunch of clothes. (laughs) I mean, everything. And I'm like, God, what is this? I'm following you but it's like man every story at the school of ministry is almost the same it's that preparation time and you know now I'm walking in his call although i have nothing of this world it's like psalms 73 that says lord you know it's just like what a, what else do i have in heaven or on earth but you you know there's nothing that i desire you know, I've had a taste of this world. And it's, it's empty, it's bitter. I've, I've hung out with the affluent, I've hung out with celebrities, I've hung out with very poor people from Haiti that have nothing. I've seen the complete paradigm of humanity. And what's the one thing that I recognize? The one thing that I recognize is that they are all longing for something. And the ones that have found it have true joy. And it's Christ. And that's where I'm at. I just recently lived in apologetics conference. I'll close with this. And it's just got me on a big high right now. I'm like so pumped. And it talked about the just how us as believers we we have truth this is filled with promises that have been made but most importantly have been kept and archaeology science there's no other faith system or belief that has the foundation that we do and god's finally saying when will my people rise when are they gonna stop acting like they're victims? When are they gonna be bold as lions? And I just got pumped and I was like, Lord, this whole time I've just been wasting time. I rearranged everything in my life for a pursuit for a dream. And the temptations of this world took me away from you and your calling. I was ineffective. So Lord, I don't want that anymore. I'm here now. Use me wherever it is that you want. And i that's my challenge to you guys today. We're here to not hear stories from a book that was just feel good messages. You know, Dave's gonna share with you something tonight. You know, their their cautions, their warnings. Listen to my life. There's probably multiple testimonies here. We are all testimony of the fact that one day we realize that there's nothing good in us. We were broken to the fact that we needed a savior from ourselves. You know, and the temptations of this world now, they're not appealing anymore because they don't lead me to Christ. And that's where we need to be. And that's my challenge to you guys is, remember the God of your youth and build your house on solid foundation. Thank you
0: Thanks Thank you. Thanks so much, Samuel, for that transparency and sharing your story with us. God is so good, and by the way, Samuel, oh do you he might have oh he's back there. The, the weight comes off slowly, but it comes off from school ministry. It's the school ministry baby weight, so so, <laughs> everyone who's in school ministry knows. are <laughs> like, oh, <aw. laughs> All right, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, starting out in verse 9 tonight as for our scripture reading. Mark chapter 1 and verse 9. So, continuing through the book of Mark, looking at the life of Jesus and what God reveals to us about him. Chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan and when he came up out of the water immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased verse 12 the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was with the w- was in the wilderness for 40 days Being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Verse 14 Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, that your word is a guiding light for us. Lord, it is in your word that we find truth, Lord, promises. Promises for our good and benefit, Lord, to be with you. Promises of a future and a hope that you alone can give to us, God. Father, I pray that as we submit ourselves before your word and ask you to wash us in it, Lord, that none of us would leave here the same as the way we came, Lord, but you would apply it to our lives. You would, you would cause us to think and meditate on your word so that, God, we can be more and more like you. In your image. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2008, Luis Ortiz, uh, I might have just messed up the name here. I've got to go back to my notes. Uh, that is, there we go. Yeah, Luis Ortiz. In 2008, Luis Ortiz uh, was, uh, had worked for Verizon and he found himself out of work living in the Bronx trying to figure out what to do next with his life. In fact, he was actually quite depressed and overcome with just being out of work and losing hope and the prospect of, of the, the loss of everything. And then he realized something, as he, uh, someone actually pointed out to him, that he had some features that were very much like a, a particular person, a very famous person at the time, and that he might be able to make a living impersonating that person. Well, Luis always had had, uh, been disgusted by these personal features of himself, and he always dreamed of getting some plastic surgery so he could get rid of these features. But now he realized there may be a new prospect. There may be something else he can do with these features. So he got a haircut, shaved his beard off, put a little bit of makeup on, and instantly he was the spitting image of President Barack Obama. And he began touring around, doing speeches as President Barack Obama, uh, wearing the suit, the American flag pin, uh, greeting people. People were hiring him constantly. They still are today. In fact, they're actually filming a documentary about him and how how well he imitates and impersonates Barack Obama. So things are going well for Luis nowadays. And whether, whatever your, your view is of Barack Obama, Luis was sure happy that he had this opportunity to redeem his life livelihood and, and start imitating Barack Obama. But there's one problem with Luis. Luis finds himself powerless to make decisions. Sure, he looks like Barack Obama. He talks like Barack Obama. People even confuse him for the real Barack Obama, but he can't make any decisions. He's not welcome in the White House. He can't get there. It's interesting tonight as we look at the scripture in Mark, we're going to see that Jesus is the true Israelite. He is the one in which uh, the measurement of an Israelite will be looked at. So Jesus we find here coming to John the Baptist in Galilee, for coming from Nazareth to Galilee. Now, I just want to take you, have you compare verse 9 with verse 5. Notice verse 9, it says, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. If we back up to verse 5 from last week, verse 5 said, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. And um, confessing their sins. Interesting how we see Mark tell us all Judea and all Jerusalem were coming out. We don't see names. But then in verse 9 it says, but then there's this one who came. Drawing our attention to this one person. This one who fulfilled the messianic requirements. Who was the real deal. Who who was not like an imposter or impersonator but was really the true Israelite. Mark draws our attention to him. Now let me just back up a little bit to Genesis. If you remember, in Genesis, God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden, and he told Adam, he's like, Adam, this garden is yours. Take care of it. Tend it. Name all the animals, Adam. This is your garden. And you know what? I'm going to be here with you and you with me and we're going to we're going to have fellowship. We're going to walk together in the garden having this communion. Things are good. Just don't do one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat of that tree, you will die. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. The garden, God, being with God, having Adam having his lady with him, you know. <laughs> but there was a problem. Temptation came, and Adam took, and he bit into that fruit. And death surely came. Death came to all mankind it, mankind. it came to you, and it came to me. All through Adam, sin reigned in us. So God called out Abraham, and God said, Abraham, leave your country, leave your people Go to the land I will show you. And guess what, Abraham? I'm going to bless you. And, and I'm going to bless all, all people on earth through you. And anyone who curses you, I will curse. They'll become a cursing. And I'm going to do this for you, Abraham. And Abraham said, Well, God, what do I need to do? And God says, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm going to make this covenant. And I'm making this covenant on my own, this unconditional covenant that God was going to do through Abraham. That all, he would have a child and all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. Jump forward 430 years into Egypt. Moses is called to deliver his people out of Egypt. Well, God, God's choosing Moses to use him as agent. God's going to deliver his people out of Egypt. And he said, Moses, you go speak to Pharaoh. Aaron will be your tongue. You raise your staff. You tell Pharaoh, to let my people go. So Moses faithfully is doing this. And God starts raining down the plagues on Egypt. And eventually Pharaoh, the Egyptians don't just tell the, the Hebrews to leave. But they kick them out of Egypt. And they kick them out with 400 years of back pay for, uh, for, for the abuse that they've given them. Egypt leaves, or Israel leaves Egypt fairly wealthy. Heading out into the desert. Leaving the world Egypt, out for the unknown, wherever God's going to lead us, that's where we're going to go. Coming to the Red Sea, the Red Sea parting, Israel moving through the Red Sea, Pharaoh chasing after Israel, Red Sea closing on Israel, and all of Pharaoh's men did the dead man's float, we know the Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, baby, you know, we know the song. Israel escapes, they head to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai, and on Mount Sinai, Moses communicates with God. I and mean, we've talked about that a couple of weeks ago, just about Moses being up there with God. Actually, it was last week at our afterglow, we talked about Moses just saying, God, show me your glory. But while Moses was up on the mountain, God said, here is my law. Here is my commandments. This is how your people will honor me. And so when Moses was up on the mountain, he brought down the commandments, and he Went to the people of Israel in Exodus in chapter 19. And it says So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. In verse 8, all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They committed. They said, Man, this God is good. This God has defeated the Egyptians, set us free, given us all the wealth. We're good. He, he's establishing us as a nation. Just like he promised 400 years earlier to our father Abraham, he is surely doing what he has promised. And we will do all that he commands of us. That didn't last too long. In fact, it went pretty quick. Soon Israel was crying out for a king, God, we want to be like the nations, all the other nations like us. Well, and this was, by the way, after a time of the book of Judges, and when we're reading the book of Judges, it's probably one of the most depressing books in the Bible, because it's just a cyclical uh, movement of Israel sinning, Israel falling into captivity, God raising up a judge, the judge freeing Israel, and Israel saying, yeah, we should worship God now, this is a good idea, we should keep worshiping God. And the book of Judges is summarized by the sad statement of, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit in his own eyes. Sad, because God had given them the law, and they had all together committed as a community, we will do. Sad, because Adam had said, Lord, this is good. (laughs) I'm not going to eat of that fruit, Right? Adam knew the rule. He couldn't keep it. Israel couldn't keep it. And so they cry out for a king. Well, you know, if you give us a king, we'll, we'll be good. If you And, and God warns them, hey, if I give you a king, he's going to take your taxes. He's going to take from you. You're not going to get to keep all that you have. You're going to support him. You're going to you're going to build palaces for him. You're going to you're going to help f- your sons will fight in his army and y- you you sure you want to do? It? Yeah, we want a king. So Israel starts the monarchy. And they have their kings. And slowly and surely sin creeps in and rebellion creeps in. And not only are they saying we want a king now, but they're saying we want to worship the gods like our neighboring countries. We want to be like them, we want to have the Asherah poles, and we want to worship Molech, and we want to, we want to do the, worship these false gods. God sends prophets warning Israelite, Israel, don't do it. Don't do it. Surely these, thing, these, these prophets, this sin will only bring death to you. And so we find Elijah, the prophet, coming forth. In fact, Elijah actually thinks he's the the last one in all Israel who worships the Lord God. Turns out he was wrong. There were 7,000 others, a remnant kept aside that God knew about. But still, when you think about a whole nation of people, 7,000 isn't that many. When you think about our city and the amount of Christians within our city, we still could probably say we don't have enough yet. There's not enough Christians. There's not enough Christian influence. So Elijah Shows off with the prophets of Baal there. And we read the story about how Elijah calls down fire from heaven and his sacrifice is consumed. And then they chase down the prophets of Baal and they slaughter them all. And it was a victory day. But it didn't last long. Israel returned to their sin over and over and over again until finally God said, I'm going to give you over to captivity. And it was first the northern kingdom, Israel itself that fell. And then Then eventually Judah fell to Babylon and they were carried off into captivity. They were carried off because of the fact that they rejected God's God's laws. They didn't do what they were told they would do. But you know what? God still had an outstanding promise to the Israelites. Although the Israelites did not receive all the blessings from God that they could have by being obedient, their disobedience did not negate the promise that God gave to Abraham. Then I'm going to bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It did not negate the promise that God gave to David, saying, I will establish your throne forever, David. So these promises were still standing, because they were based in a God who is faithful. Not like you and me. Not like a, us who say, oh yeah, we're going to do it. Surely, we'll do it all, Lord. Whatever you command, we'll do it. And then the next day we're like, oh, a Butterfly. And we're off. No, these promises were based in God. And so God, even even in telling the Israelites that they were going to be carried off into captivity, that they were going to lose everything, he said, I will restore you. I will bring you back. And while in captivity, God gave such wonderful prophecies prior to leaving and in captivity about the coming Messiah, about this king that would eventually bring in peace. Peace. Wonderful Messiah, the anointed one. That's what the word Messiah, Mashiach, means anointed one. In in the Greek, we call it Christ, Christos, the anointed one. And so when John the Baptist showed up, as we read last week, baptizing, wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and honey, a wild guy, and everybody going, Hey, are you the one? Are you the prophet? John the Baptist said, hey, one who's coming after me is greater. He's the guy that I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. By the way, Israel knew exactly what that meant. Israel knew that, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Baptize you with the Holy Spirit? That, that, that was promised in Ezekiel and, and in Jeremiah. That was, that was the promise that the anointed one would do, the Messiah, is that who you're talking about? So all came out from Judea and Jerusalem. One comes from Nazareth. I'll tell you right now, Nazareth, it's a country bumpkin town. It, you don't even read about it in, in many of the history. Josephus never mentions it. Many, many of the historians don't even mention Nazareth because it's just like this well, whatever. It, it's not even worthwhile mentioning in most history books. We know it existed. But it's, it's just nothing really ever came from there. Nothing, nothing big. No prophets. Nothing. But one, one person did. Jesus, as John tells us, Jesus from the Nazarite. Jesus from Nazareth. He came. And notice what he did. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. Baptized by John in the Jordan. And the, the biggest question we can ask ourselves is, why was he baptized? John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. Repentance. John was calling people to come out from their sin, to turn from their sin, their worldliness, and be ready for Messiah. Prepare the way for the Lord and make his path straight was John's role. That's what he was supposed to do. So why would Jesus submit to such baptism? Let me just tell you this. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the true Israelite. He is the one who says, Lord, what you say I will do. And he can surely do it because he's the son of God. He's God incarnate. So Jesus' repentance is perfect. Now, not that he himself was repenting from his sin, but he's repenting for all of Israel. On behalf of Israel, on behalf of you and me, his repentance is perfect. Recognizing the way of the Lord. Identifying with you and me, and all of Israel in every way. That's what he was doing. But you know, there's something different that happened at Jesus' baptism that didn't happen to anybody else's baptism. And, and this, is, this is the best part, because when he comes up out of the water, Mark says, euthus, immediately, and, and we're going to see Mark uses this word, euthus, 42 times in his, in his gospel. He loves the word immediately, immediately, immediately. Right afterwards, this is what happened. He comes up out of the water, and everybody was like, cool, he got baptized. No, that's not what happened. It says the heavens were torn open. Okay, that's kind of a big deal, torn open. What, is that? what did that look like? I don't know, but I really want to know what did that look like. And I, I think we're going to have good seats in the future to see what it looks like when the heavens and earth pass away and the sky is torn open. We'll have some good seats to see what this actually looks like. Uh, but, but he says the heavens are torn open. And then a spirit comes descending on him like a dove. What? <laughs> like of all the things that you would pick to, 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 okay, this dove came out of heaven. And, of course, in, in, in comics or in illustrations, we see a dove flapping and glowing light and all this sort of stuff. And, and maybe it did look like it. I have no idea. But I do think that this has something to do, with some parallel to the creation account. Because when it talks about in Genesis 1... That the spirit hovered over above the waters? The, the, the word for hovered is fluttered. It's like a dove. So I, I, I'm sure there's some parallel there to Genesis. Especially knowing that, that Jesus is the new Adam. The Adam who will be faithful. Not like the Adam who sinned and passed on sin to you and I. And so the, the spirit descends on him like a dove. And then a voice comes from heaven... You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, this didn't happen to any other Israelite. It only happened to Jesus because there is only one that could actually please the father. I don't know if you've ever had dad issues or issues with trying to please your dad. I I always had a pretty good dad. I I never really felt like I was in, in, oh man, I really want to get, I want to really get his approval. But I've definitely worked with a lot of kids And a lot of kids who all they want is dad's approval. They want to be good enough for dad. And if you're a dad, let me just encourage you, tell your kids you're proud of them. Tell your kids you're proud of them when they bring home the B and not the A. Don't say it's good, but be proud of your kids because it goes a long way. The fact is we all need cheerleaders. We do. We need cheerleaders come alongside us and say, you can do it. It's amazing what a cheerleader does in our life. But the fact is, is Israel was a little different than just being a not good enough son. They were enemies and objects of wrath. They were just moving along in repetition, acting holy, putting forth sacrifices. But we know that the psalmist David said in Psalm 51, sacrifice you do not desire. It doesn't please you. Or I would bring it. What you desire, God, is a broken and contrite heart. That word, it doesn't please you in Psalm 51, is the same word here. And it's only used a few times throughout the New, Old and New Testament, the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, the Greek version. And, and it's saying that he is satisfactory. This is the one who meets the standard. This is the one who measures up With him I am pleased. Not with all of Israelites. You're not all pleasing God just because you're sitting in church. You're not all pleasing God just because you're a part of Israelites or a Jew. You please God because Christ pleases God. You come in Christ's name, covered by his blood, and that is what's pleasing to God. And so that's what, uh, when this voice comes from heaven saying, you are my beloved Son." You are the loved one. And with you, I am well pleased. Let me just pause for a minute and talk about this Trinitarian doctrine that is is really uh, further revealed here in the Gospels. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but to me the Trinity is actually a pretty awesome argument for the validity of Christianity and that Christianity is, is worth checking out more so than other religions. Think about this. Know that religion has a doctrine that no one can explain. Have you ever thought about that? We, we have a doctrine so foreign to us that we grasp at it. We try to talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And we, we attempt to explain it, but we know that we can never fully understand the Trinity. It's, it, in fact, you and I could never even make it up because it's so complex and complicated. How did, wait, wait, okay, hold on. There's three persons, yes, but there's only one God. But yet Jesus was here and God was there and God was speaking from heaven, but Jesus was there, but they're one God. Ah! How do we do this? They're not the same person. They're three different persons. The Spirit's descending, God speaking, the Father speaking, and Jesus is there up coming out of the water. Yet it's one God because the Scriptures clearly teach it. And we know that Jesus came that we might, that he might reveal the Father more to us. Reveal God to us. And so here we, we more fully start to understand this idea of the Trinity. In the Old Testament, we, we don't see it as much. We see plur, uh, plural terms like uh, uh, let us make man in our image. We see that in the Old Testament. But we don't fully see this doctrine starting to come out until the New Testament as it's being revealed. And we go, what? This is awesome. And so the other thing about it is I want you to just think about this for a minute. God is pleased with Jesus. Jesus is God's beloved son. Remember, remember a few weeks ago when we were studying through 1 John, we came to the passage and said, God is love. And the interesting idea about love is love has to be acted upon. There has to be an object or a person for us to love, to, for love to actually happen. Do you follow? Like, you can't say, I love. And everybody goes, okay. Because that doesn't even make sense. Well, who do you love? What do you love? Pizza? My dog? What do you love? Your wife? So in order for God to be love and for all love to come from God, that means prior to his creation, because God is unchanging, he's already love. That means that he already has someone to love. And who is that? Well, I would propose to you, that's the Trinity. God loving himself. The Trinity. Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Son loves the Spirit and the Father. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. All kind of, as C.S. Lewis put it, in a dance revolving around each other. Loving each other from eternity past. In fact, we can learn a lot about love just by pondering the Trinity and looking at these scriptures as as the Father and the Son and the Spirit interact with each other throughout throughout the Bible. But I would propose to you that also about the Trinity that it shows that love does come from God because God is three persons in one, not just one. If God be, otherwise God would have to change right at creation. Once God created, He would have to become love. Well, we know that God is unchanging. The Bible teaches that. The fancy word for it is immutable, but nobody cares, <laughs> except maybe him in the back row. I just want to see who would look. <laughs> right. So Jesus comes up out of the water. You are my beloved son. With you, my well, pl- I am well pleased the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by satan and was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him there's that word immediately immediately the spirit drove him out into the wilderness think back to the exodus egypt or israel is called out of egypt and into the wilderness 40 days right 40 days there there, or actually, they end up 40 years. But Sorry, Moses is up on Sinai 40 days with the Lord. Elijah is in the desert 40 days being ministered to by the angels we read about. But, but I think there's something more. If you remember Goliath, he taunted Israel for 40 days before little David stepped up and said, "You are, I'm going to take your head, buddy. <laughs> no one blasphemes my God the way you're doing it. And, uh, and so, but 40 days, Goliath stood against Israel. And here we have the Spirit driving Jesus out into the wilderness and 40 days being tempted by Satan. 40 days tempted by Satan. Now, you and I might think, okay, 40 days, just keep reading, let's get moving. But I don't think we really think about it because I know there's been times when I can't even go five minutes without a temptation. I, I don't know if you're like that. There, there's been times when I haven't even lasted like a, a few minutes. I, I, there's been times where it was like, oh, but I really want to get that. Okay, I'm going to get it. you know, Or, or, or driving on the freeway, <laughs> how I act. You know, there's, uh, I can't last 40 days. Now, notice what he did. He was in the wilderness 40 days. And Matthew tells us, and Luke fills in a little more detail. Mark just is pushing on through. But what Jesus was being tempted with. In Matthew chapter 4, you can go there if you want. In Matthew chapter 4, the first temptation that comes is, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. That's the first temptation. If you really are the Son of God, if you're the one that having spoke to, anointed you, the Holy Spirit confirmed you, if you're all that you say you are, feed yourself, man. Have you ever been really hungry, really hungry? And when you're when you're you're thinking about man, I just want I'll eat anywhere. Uh, I'm willing to eat at Denny's. I'm that hungry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, maybe you like Denny's. I, I don't know. I, we were driving back from picking up the flooring for uh, from Hollister for the fellowship hall and. And I was like, I'm just trying to, to go as fast as possible. And, and so we leave Hollister with the flooring in the trailer. And i are like, okay, we'll just get food on the way. And we're on the 5 Freeway. And you know the 5 Freeway has nothing. <laughs> it's just cattle. There's Harris Ranch and Denny's. And that's it for miles. And so <laughs> we're like, I can't afford Harris Ranch. Let's go to Denny's. <laughs> it was like, it was everything I expected it to be and more. Terrible. <laughs> it was just Terrible. And I remember just like, if only I could, would have held out a little bit longer, maybe a few more hours. Maybe I could have had a better experience. But, but I was just so hungry, I gave in to going to Denny's. Now, maybe some of you like Denny's, so I don't want to make you feel bad. But the, the point is, is Jesus was starving to death. And the tempter saying, feed yourself. You've got the power. Feed yourself. Jesus says, no way. It is written, man shall not live on by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what I'm going to live by, the word of God. I'm not going to fall to your temptation. So the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now Satan says, okay, well, let's go up here for a minute. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really the anointed one of God, prove it. God says he'll do this. He says he'll save you. And man, does that sound right? The promise of health and well-being sounds pretty good. God will do this if you really are the true Israelite, the Messiah. He'll save you. Jesus responded again. It's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, we read all these things in succession, but we know it was over the course of 40 days. We don't know how often it happened. We don't know how much Jesus was suffering in this time in the wilderness. We just don't know. The Bible doesn't give us enough information. But we do know the next temptation that came, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. Satan took Jesus up and said, hey, look at all the money, the power. The authority. It could all be yours. It could all be yours. Every problem, all your poverty, it's all yours. Think about all the good you could do with all the power. Think about how much easier your life would be. It's all yours. You can have it. All you need to do is worship me. Sit. Just fall down and worship me. All your problems will be fixed and go away if you merely worship me. You know, this temptation is still going on today. Hey, just chase after some money. Get get a better job. Get this, and all your problems will be settled. Get, get paid. Do this, do that, get some more power, solidify yourself in your job, and all your problems will go away. Just worship me, Satan says. Jesus said, Be gone, Satan for it is written you shall worship the lord your god and serve him only that's it jesus the bible hebrew book of hebrews tells us was tempted in every way yet was without sin and by the way the bible doesn't say that temptation for christ ended at this point it just this temptation period of being in the wilderness for 40 days ended remember moses on sinai 40 days right Moses comes down from Sinai, and what does he find? A golden calf. The people couldn't make it 40 days. Israel could not last 40 days with Moses on Sinai before the Lord, meeting with the Lord. The people said, oh, you know what? He's probably dead. I know what we should do. I I mean, just go with me here, guys. Guys. I'm thinking that maybe uh, he's dead and God's no longer with us. Maybe, oh, who knows, maybe even God died. I don't know. I mean, sure, there's some fire and smoke going on and everything like that. But, but just, just go with me here. What if we made for ourselves a golden calf and worshiped it? Good idea. Let's do that. So we need to take a collection. Hey, anybody got some gold? We don't have enough gold to make our calf to worship it. And they begin to do it. 40 days, they end up in idolatry. Did Jesus end up in idolatry? No way. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus, the true Israelite. Jesus, the one who pleases God. Jesus, the one who ushers in the kingdom of God. Says that he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. I have no idea what that means. Other than there were wild beasts there. I I kind of think about that for a little bit, and obviously you can look at that as a, we can look at that metaphorically, but I think this was literal, and I think there's no question that Mark is being literal here, and here's what I know. When you're out in the wilderness alone, it starts to get scary, and the idea of wild beasts being out there, being hungry and starving and alone, man, how tempting it would be To just fix your situation on your own, to look to yourself, to throw yourself off that temple, or to fall down and worship Satan to save yourself. But Jesus doesn't do it. And it says the angels were ministering to him, the angels coming to serve him. Let me challenge you tonight. If Jesus is the only one who can please God, where do you stand? Where are you before God? See, the Bible is clear that it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin are death, and that is it. The Bible is clear that we are enemies of God, objects of wrath. But Jesus is the one who pleases God. He is the son whom God is well pleased with. He is the one who can change our situation. He is the one who can transform us from being an enemy and an object of wrath to being a beloved child of God. Because that's what happens when we come in through Christ, through his blood. God calls us sons and daughters. We become children of God. Heirs with Christ. We have a total positional change in our state. But some people, some people go, I don't want that. I'd rather be an enemy to God. I'd rather do it my way. I'd rather, well, listen, your way will never please God. No matter how hard you work at it, no matter how hard you try, you can never please God enough. But Jesus always can. Because Jesus conquers temptation. Jesus is the one who pleases God. Jesus is the true Israelite. He is the one that God accepts. And he will accept you through Christ. So I would challenge you. I would challenge you to consider these ideas that, that if we are in Christ, I am always going to please God. Even in a time where I've sinned and fallen short, when I've stumbled, when I've fallen into temptation, Jesus is my conqueror. He is the one who pleases God. And you know what? Previously in verse 8, John sa- or Mark says, uh, speaking of quoting John the Baptist, he says, I have uh, baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing because in Corinthians, Paul tells us that he, no one faces any temptation beyond what we can bear, but God will always pro- provide a way out for you and me. He will help us overcome temptation versus constantly having to uh, submit to temptation and continue on in our sin. God will begin to transform us. So I challenge you with that. I challenge you to think about that. As for me, I want Jesus. I want Him in every aspect of my life. I want to worship Him and I want to know that, hey, if I, jo- if I go the way He goes, He's the one pleasing God, so I follow Him. It's kind of like when you know that you're on a trail and you're not sure which way to go, you look for the signs or you look for the person in front and you follow them. Because you know, okay, that person knows where they're going. Okay, I'm going to follow them, right? Well, Jesus knows where what pleases God. Jesus knows how to honor God. How to worship God. Me, I'm going to follow Him. I'm going I'm to seek after Him. Make my life try to look more and more like Him. I challenge you that, with that tonight. How do you do that? Or are you still trying to be Lord of your own life, doing what you want to do? Because I'll tell you right now, doing it that way will never bring, uh, will never bring God's blessing and, and, and Him to ple- be pleased with you. It's only through Christ. Lord bless you. As we continue with our worship, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that there is one who fulfills all the requirements. Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, he is good enough when we can't be. He's done it for us, Lord. It's not about us striving to be better, Lord. It's about us following him because he already did it. Lord, I want to pray for each and everyone in here today, Lord God, that as they think on these things, as they think about how you have provided a way for salvation, Lord, that they would praise the name of Jesus. We look to you now in our worship, and we thank you, dear God. Amen.